Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast, which unfortunately is probably going to be the last for the foreseeable future. Um, I really wanted more than anything to do this for a living and to make this the main focus of my life, but it's just not how life works out sometimes. So I ended up having to take a job that was pretty far away, so there's just zero time to do any of this extra stuff anymore. Uh, And I know this all looks very low budget, um, but the truth is there's so many hours each day that's dedicated to getting the content ready and then shooting and editing the podcast itself. I mean, it's it is a full-time thing if you uh, really want to keep it going with the amount of information that's in it. So uh, I thought it was best to just politely walk away for now um, and maybe hopefully come back in the future. Um, I also am going to be putting my Patreon on pause. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, I recommend that you don't do anything at all because you won't get charged at all. Uh, and if I do decide to come back, I'll definitely come in with a lot of notice so you don't get charged, uh, and then we could talk about what my plans are and see if you'd still like to be a part of it. But more importantly than anything, I just have to thank everybody. Of course, thank my Patreons because, uh, I mean, it was only because of you guys that I was able to make it to 92 episodes. That's crazy to me. 92 weeks in a row, never missing one since I started this thing. That's, you know... That's almost two years. Um, I also have to thank everybody else that supported me, from all my friends who would do anything from uh, text me and email me info uh, to help following up on things to make sure I got the info right, uh, or just people that would support and say, hey, good job, thanks for doing this. Like All of it will forever be appreciated. Um, And, of course, I have to thank Kenji for making that absolutely killer opening. Um, I I would have never been able to do anything like that, nor would I have thought to, and I can't tell you how proud it makes me that I have an awesome opening like that. Uh, you know, it's it's might be stupid to people who are able to do these things, but that was like mystical magic to me. So I was uh was really blown away when I got a chance to see that and have it. So thank you so much for 92 amazing weeks of this stuff. Um, I'm going to try to keep up with the website. I'm going to try to keep putting out videos. Uh, I'm going to try to take play or take part in other things as well. But uh, I just I don't know. So at the moment kind of just count me out for the short term at least and especially with like social media email all that stuff um so you know uh really sorry that i'm gonna have to ignore the emails but hope everybody understands and i still have a completely full episode up ahead with uh my friends coming on as guests and a bunch of other fun stuff and of course the patreon giveaway so uh maybe just watch this one all the way through i know a lot of people really like to go to the timestamps, but i'm gonna try to throw in a bunch of fun stuff randomly in here so maybe we could just enjoy one last one together First up, before I get into the news, I did want to mention the interview I did with Dr. Anthony Bean, the video game psychologist. 
Uh, it was something that was really important to me and something that I, I really was hoping would make a difference. Unfortunately, I got really excited and just kind of started jumping between topics. Uh, maybe that's a diagnosis of anxiety or ADHD. I don't know. Whatever it is, I'll take it because I just got excited and I really wanted to cover so much ground and make sure to hit the bare minimum. But then I wasn't finishing my, my explanations. It was all up here. I couldn't get it out there. And uh, I just, I really hope everybody gives that one a watch because uh, there's at least one thing that we talk about in there that has affected everybody on this podcast at one point or another. Uh, whether you've been a witness to it, whether you've, uh, whether it involves you directly, or whether you've just, you know, you've seen it and it, uh, it was something that set with you. There's at least something in there, and it's kind of cool to hear somebody talk about it from strictly a clinical point of view. You know, not just me rambling on about, you know, isn't it bad when, when people do that, and doesn't that make you feel bad? Like, you know, hearing uh, Dr. Bean talk about it just from a, a really educated and experienced point of view was a very cool thing. So I really recommend everybody give that one a listen. It's uh, available audio too, as well as all of these are. So if you don't want to sit and watch this on YouTube, you could just throw it on in your car or when you're walking to work or something. But definitely wanted to uh, make sure to remind everybody about that because it was just a really great interview. Uh, it would have been amazing if I had done a better job. <laughs> so uh, maybe when his book comes out, um, if I'm still doing interviews and stuff, I would love to have him back on. And uh, you know, I'll have a few more beers before we start so I could calm the heck down and, and do a better job. But you know, big thanks to him for taking the time to do that. And uh, I really hope it makes even the smallest little difference for people. Because I know for me, hearing some of his uh, you know clinical explanations of why situations were the way they were was definitely an uh an eye-opening and interesting experience for me so please take a look down below and if you're a fan of his work follow him on twitter there are three things that i've had in my weekly show notes for over a year now that i wanted to research uh, i wanted to test out myself and either do a separate video on or spend a few minutes on the podcast talking about and i never got around to it so i figure i'll just list them out now and if anybody's interested maybe you could look further into it for yourselves but uh first somebody had posted on soundcloud a bunch of everdrive audio tests comparing the original famicom games to the everdrive's um, famicom emulation audio it's probably not the best word for it, but it's not the original chip. Uh, and I just thought it was pretty interesting and cool, and anybody that wants to listen to one right after the other, you could hear the differences. Next is somebody had made a light gun test ROM, so that you're actually able to load this ROM and use it to test and calibrate your light guns. And I think they needed a little bit of help with it too. Uh, I could be wrong on that one, but uh, so if anybody's interested in that and wants to give that a try, I really wanted to dig deep into that one, actually, because I just thought it would be very cool to, to have ways to test different light guns to make sure that it's not, you know, the TV, the cartridge, whatever else. There, a lot of people have issues with light guns. I know myself, and I know there was somebody on the forums, uh, I believe Apollo Boy, uh, we both were having intermittent SMS light gun issues, and neither of us really could figure out what it was. So... Um, hopefully we'll track those issues down and now have a test software to go with it. And also, uh, somebody had posted on GitHub patches so that PlayStation light gun games would work with the GunCon controller, uh, the GunCon light gun game. So that is also awesome because I'm a big fan of light gun games. I think, uh, my favorites 
are ones like Duck Hunt or Maze Hunter or Safari Hunt where you could just go in there and kill 10 minutes with a big smile and then, you know, you don't have to pour an afternoon into it. You could just be shooting ducks with friends, you know, drinking beers and having fun. So anytime I'm able to add more uh, light gun games to the list that I'm able to try, big fan of it. So the links to all three of those are down below. Uh, sorry that they're all like a year old and I really wish I could have dug deep into all of them and done reviews or videos or something but uh links are down below for people interested now on to more up-to-date news the gscart switch light units are possibly going back up for sale this week super g had posted on the forums and uh, i think anybody that needs immediate uh notification of that should subscribe to the topic i'm still going to try to keep up and do things like you know tweet out when the, these things go on sale but i don't know if i'll make it in time I think the the last time or the last two times Super G put stuff up for sale, I had tweeted about it within like two minutes of it happening, and now it'll probably just be the same day. So, uh, sorry about that. But if you're really waiting on one of those, definitely uh, subscribe to that thread. And that so far is just my favorite SCART switch. I haven't really had any issues whatsoever, uh, and the only thing you might run into is if you have a PlayStation 2 and you're looking to do 480p over SCART and that is still the solution that I think, uh, or the solution to fix that that I still think is the best uh, is the one that Dan, such as 3000 PSI, uh, started talking about a few months ago that Ben from iFix Retro came over and did a bunch of them for me and they all worked amazing. That's basically just taking Luma and making sure that C-Sync is run directly to it. That gets you RGBS um, on a Sync on Luma cable in all resolutions, including 480p. So doing that mod solves any compatibility issue, any 480p compatibility issue with the G-SCART Switch Lite. Uh, no compatibility issues at all with 240p or 480i. But that also is a great mod for people that even aren't using the G-SCART Switch Lite, uh, for people that are going directly into scalers or monitors that might not support sync on green. It really is just a solution to an annoying problem. So definitely check all those out. And uh, speaking of Dan... Hey guys, I'm here back again with Dan. How's it going, man? Hey guys. So uh, good. I wanted to get you on personally because this is going to be my last podcast for a while and uh, I just wanted to hear about two projects that I know people are thrilled about uh, and I, I guess you're making progress. So both with your Wii Dual Board and with the Dreamcast HDMI solution. So yep. would you be able to just give us a rundown of both? Yeah, sure. Um, the Dreamcast was kind of something that I designed the board quite a while ago and uh, I just... I put it on the back burner because I wanted to get the GameCube and that stuff. I was taking on too many projects. And then Chris kind of just asked me, you know, for the files and stuff. So I gave him what I designed, and he ended up assembling one over the last weekend and got it to work and um, said he was pretty happy with it. So um, so I kind of redesigned the board to fit better, and I'll probably end up getting one made, I don't know, in the next month or so. and testing it out and see how it works so it's a pretty complicated design though so um it really needs to be tweaked it's the power regulators are probably over overkill for what's in it because i don't know i don't know how much it pulls on the 3.3 rail and stuff like that so um could be made cheaper but right now it's probably a pretty expensive piece to build 
So, so what's uh, the installation look like? Is that more of an advanced installation, or is this going to be something that uh, your average person could do as a kit? Um, they probably could do it as a kit, maybe. There is a QSB board that mounts to um, one of the to the DAC on the on the Dreamcast. And I think, if I remember right, this is—I mean, I designed this board. I think over a year ago. I think it was like 0.65 millimeters, and I was able to get a QSB PCB to mount to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not the easiest thing to install, though, because it's easy to bridge those castellations on the QSB. So I wasn't using a flex cable, um, but it does it does work, though. I mean, I have one in my Dreamcast currently. It's not connected to anything, but the QSB is installed. Um, so... I think they'll be able to, but I mean, you definitely would have to have soldering experience. I mean, gotcha. And then I mean, this is uh, just cut a little pole in the plastic for the micro HDMI port in the back. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Correct. Yep. Now, um, who did the the firmware for this? Did you were you able to do that as well, or is that Chris's? Um... No, it's Chris did all the firmware, and I think that currently, I think that the major there's only no major issues with it that I know of. Um, the only thing it doesn't do there's no OSD. So the Dreamcast still requires you to, to know what what pins are grounded for the modes, for like RGB mode, VGA mode, and things like that. So if you don't ground pin 6, you won't get VGA mode, which is, you know, AK 640 by 480p. You know, if you're just doing RGB, you'd have 480i. So there almost needs to be a switch installed somewhere on the machine to flip what video mode the Dreamcast outputs. Gotcha. Um, um, as far as I know, most Dreamcast games could be patched to force 480p support, yeah. even if they don't support it. I know a lot of purists really only want to play over the original disc, yeah. though. But uh, So for anybody, though, that is using a GDMU or any of the, the optical drive emulation, you could just patch, even if you're the type of person like me that rips your own disc, uh, you yeah. could just patch that and force everything into 480p right. mode. So Yeah. Now, Correct. are you still is would this enable dual output or would it be one at a time? No, it would be dual. This is a parasitic device, so it would just, I mean, well, dual as in like you'd still have the normal multi out out of the Dreamcast that you could do whatever with. Um, so, so you, you could, could have run the, analog analog to a CRT and then digital to a capture yep. card if you wanted to. Correct. Yeah. Very very cool. Uh, and I read on the forums, and I just wanted to double check that uh, this presents the uh, the VGA image in the correct aspect ratio for digital. Correct. Yes. Yes. He took care of that. Now, he had a couple of firmware releases or revisions in his first. Didn't fix that, and the second one does. Um, his newest one does. I know you've added. He added something recently, uh, which was firmware updating with one of those, um, uh, like the ESP modules. You know, those cheap Wi-Fi plug boards or whatever. But I, the current stuff I've designed is not set up for that. So, um, and I don't know if I'll add that. And maybe I will. I don't know how much he plans to update his his firmware. I mean, once it works, it works. I don't know. I guess if there's bug fixes or things like that. Gotcha. Um, and this so, is just an open source project, right? Both your correct. side of it? Yeah. Uh-huh. So if people are interested, they could just follow the project and try to make their own. And will you be uh, offering installations of this anytime soon? Uh, I mean, I got to have a working one first. So <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't have an ETA. I mean, because the Wii is probably going to be um, probably more important than the Dreamcast in terms of priorities, just because that's what I said I would do from the beginning. 
So I don't really want to. Well, that's the know. perfect segue into the Wii stuff. Then, could you talk a little bit about where that project is, um, and uh, you know, I guess the basic timelines around it? Yeah, um, I just, I guess, the past few weeks I've been working on a redesign because it's. I'm trying really hard to get to be able to mount to the Vias on the board on the Wii mm-hmm. with the PCB. Um, I don't really want to do the flex cable because. It's just an unknown area for me, and I know that it's it's like 200 bucks just for prototypes. Um, so you know, and I know I'm going to mess up. So I could be I could be 600 in before I even get something that that works. And I'm not really trying to. I mean, this is this is a hobby for me. I'm not trying to, you know, make thousands and thousands. You know, I mean, Marshall You're trying to cover your costs, really. Yeah. So, you know, it's so if it's. I guess I'm sorry if it takes some skilled installer to, to install it. That's just what it's going to be. Um, but uh, it will be a wired install. Um, it'll be convenient. The points will be close to the DAC. Um, they'll be short as possible. Um, I mean, the design should work. I mean, I already have multiple test designs working at this. I just haven't really finalized the final hardware. Gotcha. So, And I did move the HDMI plug over to where, the, to where the USB is. I don't think I have a Wii around, but... Um, it's so because before the, the design, you couldn't plug in both the Wii cable and the HDMI cable at the same time, which I, I guess people that's important for people to stream. So the HDMI cable is over by the USB, so there'll be no issue with dual output on that. So, yeah, that was actually the next thing I wanted to ask is will this allow for RGB output from even NTSC Wii's? Correct, yes. And that's just by cutting traces and re jumping to the multi out? Yes. So that that is really awesome. Um, you know, a lot of people don't seem to to understand. Well, you know, it's it, we outputs great component. Why not just use that? And uh, I mean, if you already have, if you have like seven consoles and a G-Scart switch light and your RGB monitor, you don't want to change everything around for one component console. You just want to plug it in and have it auto switch. So that's right. cool. And then the dual output, of course, um, that is a big deal for streamers. That uh, that saves a lot of points of failure. Because, you know, mm-hmm. it, while most people won't have issues, if you're a professional streamer and your HDMI splitter, you know, fizzles out halfway through a stream or causes some kind of HDMI handshake thing, uh, I mean, having just dual outputs makes everything easier. So. Right. And it don't have the standard VGA out and component out still. Mm-hmm. Just like just like the normal, you know, GC video stuff. It'll have all that, too. So, I mean, you'll have to make a custom cable for... Um, for VGA, but... Right, um, there is there there is something which I don't really know on GC video when I talked with Unseen to make the dual firmware, I had him put in a mode switch, a mode pin, which isn't really talked about. But there's a there's an input on that pin that allows you to force component, so you can set RGB by default in the OSD, and if you plug in a cable and it grounds the mode pin, whichever pin you choose. Um, it will force component out. So you can actually have two sets of cables. You can have an RGB cable and a component cable. And if that component cable has that pin ground, if you plug the component in, a component will automatically come up. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, and that actually, so by, because this is GC video based, um, you're technically going to be able to fix all of those Wii's that have uh, less, a lower quality video output because it's not using that at all. It's using the GC video digital output, right? Correct, yeah. So that's very cool. Even if you're using analog output, you're still probably going to get a quality boost. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Now, for the, the video signal output through HDMI, is it also like uh, GameCube where it just passes everything through? So if you're doing 240p or 480i on both analog and digital, it just sends both? Or is there yeah. going to be line doubling at all? Uh, no, it's got the line doubling. So I mean, you can you can choose to line double 480i if you want to. It'll just be like the GC video. I mean, it's identical in, in the firmware. It just has, you know, line doubling 480 or 40p um the wii is a little different as in um if you set progressive mode in wii you know if you plug a component cable in you know you lose you lose um and you set to 480p in the settings you lose composite video output right um so there is a little there is some other switchery in there that um the in gc video there's something called cable detect mm-hmm it's listed in one of the settings and the gc dual it's um it's just just disconnected um but in the wii it's actually connected up and so you can you can tell the gc you can tell um the gc dual or i'm sorry the wii dual to force um 40i or 40p gotcha to simulate um, to simulate plugging the component cable in right essentially so, so that way you can just force the mode correct um so do you have a basic release date for this? Do you uh, do you know when I, your next revision boards are coming in or anything? I, I just ordered them on Osh Park like two days ago. So they'll probably take two weeks to get in, two and a half weeks. Um, I'm really kind of busy with GameCube stuff at the moment um, and Coleco stuff. However, I'm not trying to do a ton of Coleco stuff. That's kind of just a side project. You know, I release the files for people to do whatever they need to do. But I have a couple that... I need to do the final testing with um, mm-hmm. with the bots, but uh, um, if I can get the GameCube stuff wrapped up in like a month, um, which is my kind of plan, then I'll be able to do you know full steam on Wii. Very so, very cool. And once again, another open source project that people could uh, take a look at and contribute to, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very very cool. Well, thank you so much for all this stuff. Uh, for for donating everything open source and for really taking the time to do things that a lot of people have talked about but no one's actually taken the time to do so uh, yeah, you know, it's no a, a huge help and it's really it's making a big difference especially for a lot of the streamers that have needed that dual output that's um, you know you're solving a big problem for those guys guys yeah. girls I always say guys I always fucking do that sorry <laughs> sorry ladies but uh, yeah, they get it <laughs> yeah. alright well thanks man and uh, right, no I will definitely keep in touch and talk to you soon sounds good alright talk to you later Next, I just wanted to give a big shout-out to Kevin, who had donated a stack of RGB monitor service manuals, um, and also a shout-out to Phil, who uh, offered to use professional book scanning equipment at his job to scan any of the manuals that we don't already have saved as PDFs. Um, I think stuff like this is so important for preservation uh, and historical purposes. I'll try to get everything over to my website on the RGB monitor uh, service manual section, as well as maybe even send stuff over to Frank Cifaldi just to add to his archive. And then we're going to find a place to take the physical manuals uh, to make sure they're held on to as well. I haven't figured that out yet, but I promise they're going to go to a good home. So uh, stuff like this really makes me smile because while, uh, you know, while the very 1% 
our you know the drama in this community more more often than not there's awesome people and occasionally you get really cool and nice gestures like this so thanks again to kevin for donating all those i think he's sending a second box too uh and i will get them up on the website as soon as they're scanned um and i'll just tweet out about that for anybody interested i don't have a full list of which monitors they're for yet but i'll get all that up there as soon as i can so just thought that was a nice you know a heartwarming rgb story to share the team behind the Kickstarter project, NestMaker, decided a great way to show off their Nest game making software and battle trolls at the same time would be to make a Nest game called Troll Burner. I thought it was absolutely hilarious, and even though I'm not a troll, I or at least didn't troll them, I asked if they would put my character in the game as a troll that you could kill at the end, and they said there were too many colors, and I guess they'd have to just redo it, but uh, I think that's the coolest thing, both making the game and the thought of me being shot at in a video game is absolutely hilarious. So when this next Nestmaker project comes out, hopefully somebody could, uh, could put me in there, and uh, I don't really care if I'm a good guy guy or a bad guy i just think it'd be incredible to be in a video game hey guys i am here with nick from team rectal and i uh i actually really really wanted chris covell to come and talk about this but he didn't have time so we're stuck with nick so <laughs> thank you bob yeah uh, always the positive introduction chris covell that's the uh, lead singer of soundgarden right yeah it's no it's exactly exactly <laughs> yep uh, yeah. Uh, so, could you, uh, in all seriousness, explain to us what you know about this PlayStation dithering stuff? Because as soon as I saw Chris's pictures on the website, the first thing I thought of was, "Fuck! I really wish I could have uh, played Castlevania Symphony of the Night without the stupid dithering on the whole time." So, yeah. So, if anyone's unfamiliar with what dithering actually is, it's just the technique of kind of alternating shades of pixel values to kind of generate either colors that wouldn't be possible or shading or kind of simulate transparencies like Sonic does in uh, some of the waterfalls. Uh, And what Chris discovered is there are some uh, bits that you can toggle in the game uh, source code. If you uh, dive deep there um, and turn that off so uh if you remember back i think it was about a year ago now uh Stee and i worked on actually using game genie to toggle a bit that uh determined whether a sega or a super nintendo game was in 480i or 240p this is very similar to that so he um used a tool it's uh it's the called no cash PSX, I guess, which is an emulator that also allows you to view uh, the actual um, byte-level data of the ROM. And so you can just search through it, find where that bit is getting set, and once you know that, it's pretty trivial to write a Game Genie code that changes that instruction to write the bit that says, don't dither. 
Okay, so let me just go back through this to make sure I got it. Um, dithering is that checkerboardy looking pattern, which I would assume that at a higher resolution, 480p and up, would actually be a pretty brilliant way of blending things together because as long as you're more than two feet away from a TV, uh, especially a CRT and especially a consumer grade CRT, you would not even be able to see the squares because they would just kind of blend in and give the desired effect that the developer wanted. Yep. Um, but at such a low resolution, that's meaning 240p that little square is kind of a bigger square and when you're doing things like upscaling 5x through the ossc playing on a very sharp bvm there really isn't any blending because of how sharp it is so you end up just seeing squares all over the page Um, and what chris had found was places in the iso so the game rom itself essentially to uh turn on turn on and off the flag for the dithering effect yeah, that's exactly right. It's um, the what makes it a little tricky is, I guess, the way um, some of these games were done. Uh, you could set that flag for like universally for the whole game. I'm going to use dithering. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of other games, I'm going to use dithering on my background objects or not. I'm going to use dithering on my sprites or not. So depending on how the developers did it, you may have to go and look in multiple places to, to change that. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. It, in, when you put this stuff on a 65-inch TV, uh, upscaled, it's, you know, it doesn't have the same effect that you had when you know, back in the day you were just plugging these consoles into a CRT um, uh, through composite video like that. Gotcha. That whole way of doing things before caused the the proper blurring that they were going for, and and you'd get that effect, and now it just kind of looks um, unpleasant. Gotcha. And um, I I think the only challenge would be, uh, oh, I mean, there's probably a lot of challenges. I'm I'm oversimplifying, but the only challenge would be when approaching 3D games, because a 2D game such as Symphony of the Night, I would just say turn it off, and if you find any other flags, turn those off too. But I could actually imagine in some 3D games, um, dithering might look good on certain sprites, but not on solid backgrounds. Uh, you know, and so it's going to be very interesting to see the kind of ROM hacks we're getting um, in order to do stuff like this. And uh, whoever wants to contribute in the future, uh, it's just going to be very interesting for me to see um, what this turns into and how we could reimagine some of these PlayStation games with and without dithering in certain scenes. But I definitely wish I could just go back and replay uh, Symphony of the Night without any of the dithering on. Yeah, so the the only thing is you have to, like kind of as I alluded to, you have to do this for each game. It's it's exactly like with um, um, the, the SNES and uh, Genesis game Genie Codes we developed. He developed codes for uh, Action Replay or Game Shark mm-hmm. for specific games, and uh, so it would take people to go out there and if they if there was a game that's not on his list that they wanted to do this with, you, you have to go and break down that code and and look for things that you need to change. Uh, so it's not trivial, but it's really cool that he was able to do this for a handful of games. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, thanks for jumping in. And uh, before we go, any release date on the Dreamcast cables? Uh, Twenty twenty eight. <laughs> All right, I'll see you later, Nick. <laughs> see ya. 
There was a bunch of Nintendo-related announcements last week, so I figured I would just kind of throw all these into one. Um, first of all, Mario Kart is now going to be released for cell phones pretty soon. Uh, I think it's going to be like Super Mario Brothers for cell phones, where it's like a very custom, stripped-down version, but I'm all for it. Uh, it seems like a very fun thing to have on a phone. Also, Switch Online is finally launching in September, more than a year after the Switch itself was released, and I really wonder what they've been doing this whole time. And that, that's not a dig like, oh, you know, what have they been doing, just putting their feet up? I mean, like, I genuinely wonder what the focus of their teams have been over the past year. Um, but also, Miyamoto himself will co-produce an animated Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, which probably is a better way to go about doing it than, like, the live-action one from the 90s, which that itself, I think, is getting a 4K remake. Definitely not something I asked for. Uh, the, the NVIDIA Switch... or Sorry, the NVIDIA Shield, which is essentially like the Switch that's released in China, is getting an official GameCube emulator. Um, so I guess hackers have found it, uh, and really it's more of a rumor than anything else, but basically, the, the strong rumor is that on China's NVIDIA Shield, uh, Nintendo has released their direct GameCube emulator just for the Twilight Princess. And if all that's true, that means Nintendo has written something that could definitely be applied to the Switch and most GameCube games. Just a rumor, but uh, worth mentioning. Also, there's a couple of games that, uh, that were being released that I thought were noteworthy. One was Run, Run Gun Jump Gun, I think. Uh, I think that's how you say it. I um I actually meant to talk about that last week, but I think the video segment I did got deleted. But it's an endless runner that got pretty good reviews. And lastly, there's a, a Zelda-inspired Switch game that looks very close to, like, a GBA Zelda. Um, and it's Blossom Tales. This, uh, and Adam actually reminded me about that. I had completely forgot that that was coming out. Uh, and it seemed pretty cool. So I just wanted to give a full update of Switch stuff. And uh, speaking of the Switch, hey guys, I am here with Ray Commend. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. So uh, I really wanted you on here to, because you have a lot more experience with the new SNES 30 Pro Controller. Um, I've used it only for, uh, I played through Axiom Verge with it, and I've been playing through Sonic, but I haven't really done any extensive testing, and you have. Um, and I've been watching your videos. I met you like a year and a half ago at Retro World Expo, uh, and I really like how you approach things. You're very, um, you know, you're very uh, just pragmatic about the way you look at things. You know, you don't get fanboyish. You get excited like we all do, but like, yes. you know, you look at things uh, the way nerds should. You know, so uh, I would love that opinion and your point of view on this Nest Thirty. So uh, I, I know you have the videos up on YouTube, but would you be able to just kind of give everybody an overview of what you found and how you liked it? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. You know, I found your channel, actually, originally when I was looking for component cables for my Super Nintendo, my Genesis, when I first switched over to my new HGTV, because mm -hmm. obviously S-Video was gone. So, yep. <laughs> that's how I found you guys. Um, I come from an age of a non-tech. Mm -hmm. That's where I get my, my review style from. Mm -hmm. I, you know, used to, back in the 90s, towards my age. <laughs> <laughs> I read a I read a hell of a lot, a lot of uh, non tech articles. You know, learn about the K six two and you know AMD original AMD chips and stuff. Yeah, great site. It, it was awesome, man. He got hired by Apple, so obviously he did something right. <laughs> <laughs> so my my page is basically all about retro gaming. Um, my love for retro gaming. I don't particularly fanboy for any particular console. I pretty much love them all. As I get older, I think I think I enjoy the con all the old consoles more and more. 
for example, you know, I started with the 2600. Again, shows my age. Mm-hmm. Started first console was a 2600. Moved on up, you know, to all the current uh, modern systems. I want to get a 2600 again. But my channel basically covers a lot of new games for old consoles that people may not have heard of. Mm-hmm. I try to go a little more in depth than what you normally find with those type of games. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, I did a review on Water Margin a while back with some of my early reviews. And I think I'm the only reviewer or reviewer that actually put uh, certain moves in that game that nobody else even mentioned. Nobody knew how to do it. Hmm. So I, come, I tend to find little strange things like that, little quirks that other people won't find, at least in my reviews. And I try to keep bias out of it. Mm-hmm. If I show excitement in the product, it's very genuine when it comes to me because mm-hmm. I'm buying the stuff with my own money 95% of the time. Yeah. And even if I ever got to the point where I got something for free and you know, I had to review it, I'm going to still be honest in the case that even if I lose a sponsor, I, I couldn't care less. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's coming, it's becoming more and more common for people to just kind of sell out and give in. I mean, it's a harsh thing for me to say, but, uh, it's just mm-hmm. the truth. And uh, mm-hmm. I have a ton of respect for the people that don't change who they are. They just, uh, you know, even if, uh, even a lot of channels that are uh, totally opinion based, um, they're very clearly not changing their opinion because of sponsors or free stuff. They're just saying how they feel, and I have tons of respect for that. So please keep doing it that way. <laughs> well, I appreciate. It. I mean, as as you know, you know, we've spoken offline, and you know, I have a journalistic background, so mm-hmm. I can't I can't let myself be biased against any one thing or the other. I have to be honest about it, regardless of how I really, really feel about it. Even if I hate, they have to be. I have to treat it fairly from an unbiased point. Absolutely. So, with that all being said, uh, now that we know where you're coming from, uh, how did you how did you like the SNES 30 Pro? Did it hold up to your expectations? You know, it's funny. I I have pretty much I don't know if it's want to say by accident or because I really enjoy their controllers. But out of all the 8-bit Do controllers or 8-bit Do, however people want to pronounce it, that seems to be a thing these days. <laughs> <laughs> out of all the controllers, I really find it to be by far my favorite one. Uh, the I don't know if you, you've played Axiom Verge with it, which I haven't finished yet, so congratulations. I'm, like, stuck halfway through right now. <laughs> but it's a great game, though. Yeah. yeah. Awesome game. But I find the directional pad to be probably the best one on an 8-bit Do controller. Mm. Far better. Like, for example, you know, you you know, you know have the controller. You know, I have the older, the older version of it. And the directional pad on this is good, but I would say it's acceptable in comparison to an original NES controller. Mm-hmm. You know, the SNES, the original SNES 30, also good. But I find the directionals on, on these pads tend not to be as good as what we got with, you know, with this version. I found the exact same thing in my limited testing of the new one. Yeah, I didn't have any problem. And the, the thing is, um, you know, the right the right arrow is the thing that, and especially yeah. all platformers and side scrollers, that's 90% of what you're pressing. And mm-hmm. if that is even 99.9% off, you're going to notice. Even casual gamers will notice. But I agree, I didn't find any issues when I was playing through Axiom Verge. I don't see. I don't know how you test it, but my test is to put a contra on the first contra. If you can run and shoot and control your diagonals, especially in the first two three stages, then you know you have a good directional pad. Mm-hmm. If, if your directionals do not work correctly, you will find out in contra very fast because you will die right away. Yeah, that's that's for damn sure, actually. And uh, you know, I think I liked the size of it. I mean, it's the same. You have them both next to you, right? The SNES 30 and the SNES 30 Pro. Yes. So it's the same size, right? But you, no, no, the, the SNES. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. They're about, yeah, they're pretty much the same size. I mean, 
So I was worried that because they were jamming that many more, you know, the two analog sticks um, and the other two buttons into the same feel, that it was going to be too tight. But I, I found it to be okay. I didn't have any issues with it. Whereas the other one that you showed, the Nest 30 Pro, I did find to be too small. I mean, I got big fucking hands, so maybe that was my issue. But it was definitely too small for me, while the Nest 30 felt right. It felt, it was a little cramped, but not enough where I would get... I would actually get a hand cramp or anything. It just, you know, I, I thought overall it was a good feel. And for me, the the weird thing about it was I enjoyed Sonic more because of that controller. Because, you know, that the Switch controller is good for analog, but I just didn't, I didn't like playing with the D-pad on it. So it actually made the experience better for me, which is I'm not usually a third-party controller fan, but I think they really won, and I think they did a great job with this one. I agree with you on that in the sense that the funny thing about the Switch is half of the reason that I bought it was because they were going to port over all these 2D side scorters. But then they skimped that on the D-pad, which is frustrating as hell. So it didn't give a choice for a guy like me to, you know, to really play those games with what comes with the controller. Mm -hmm. You know, if, you know, as you've seen in my videos, I have a ton of different adapters. I think I bought every third party accessory you can for the Switch trying to find a good controller. Mm -hmm. And honestly... Between this and uh, Magic NS, I think those are the best two options. Now, what you said about this is right. You, Depending on how big your hands are, maybe you can get a little hand cramped. But I think that's partly because we're so used to the modern controllers having, you know, the little, you know, the little rests on the side so that, you know, you can rest your palms, I mean, your, or your palms or whatever. You, know, mm. you can rest your hands on it. That this doesn't have, maybe that's part of the reason. But I find it to be great. Now, what I do find about it is that the rumble is very weak. I don't know if you've noticed that. The yeah. rumble is extremely weak. But they never advertised that they have HD rumble. So, you know, I guess that was fair on their part. True. But other than that, I mean, I love the fact that it has USB-C. I didn't expect that on, on, on a modern controller as of yet. My USB-C is great. Mm-hmm. The battery life, I have yet to have in, to recharge it during the game. Yeah, you know, I played all the way through Axiom Verge, and now I'm into Sonic, and I'm still on the original charge from the day I bought it. Yeah, it's, it's great. And the fact that it has, like you said, like the fact that they, they cramped in motion controls is amazing. You know, I was happy with that. Mm-hmm. And I really like the way they laid out the, the top L1 and L2 buttons. I, I didn't expect this to be so comfortable, but they did a really good job on that. Mm-hmm. Especially when they could do it on, this, on the original. And on uh, the FC30 Pro, I mean, this is terrible. Like, who can, who can play with this? Like, yeah. really, this is impossible. So this is great. Agreed, and, 100%. And uh, I didn't have time to do any slow motion lag testing. Um, I did read a very interesting article with somebody who did lag testing on switch wired versus switch wireless, and they mm-hmm. found that the wireless had slightly less lag, not because wireless has less lag, but just the way that Nintendo wrote the software. Uh, mm-hmm. It must have been a bug or something. But um, I was really impressed with... Uh, I didn't... I mean, I know this is a, almost a stupid thing to say these days, but I didn't detect any lag when I was playing, and I always do on the classic consoles. And I think my issue is, um, when you have a, a console like NES or SNES with no frame buffer in it, where games were really designed to be played on a completely zero-lag solution, so things like the, the falling the, the, um, the falling things in uh, Mega Man 2, where you, know, you have to get the timing exact, that depends on your timing stage yeah exactly that depends on your timing and lag will affect that whereas yeah. any games that uh, that are on a console that's built with a frame buffer people don't go down to the milliseconds of timing they just find other challenging ways to to do it and i think that's why i never uh, i i don't 
think I would ever find lag on a controller like this that's well built with good firmware to it. Of course, though, with every 8-bit do, do, whatever product, um, you have to update the firmware on day one. Uh, it never ships with the newest firmware, which, in my opinion, that's fine because that means it gets to market faster and it's still, you know, I haven't seen a major issue that's not fixable from firmware from them. So I'm okay with that. I just, if you buy one of these things, it's not plug and play. You have to set it up, set up the firmware, and then go from there. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I appreciate a company that keeps doing firmware updates, regardless of what it is. If it, even if it just says bug fixes, I mean, I would prefer you tell me what you're fixing. But if you don't, I'd rather have bug fixes than, than nothing at all. Mm-hmm. In, ter- in terms of the controllers, I mean... It's funny, you you look at Bluetooth controllers and, you know, generally they come inherently, you know, they inherently have a little bit of lag. Um, I just did a review on the Retro 8 controller, which is RF-based. Now, I'm not used to RF-based controllers really having much lag. I mean, I used to love the WaveBird. I mm-hmm. mean, the WaveBird was the most awesome RF controller ever made, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. When I tested it out, that controller had so much more lag than anything from 8-bit though. And I was really wow. in shock. I was in shock. Yeah, I did. I mean, I did a slow motion test against uh, a wired... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, Super Nintendo Classic controller versus you know the the Retro Eight, mm-hmm. and it was, it was actually much slower. I couldn't believe it. Wow, that's awesome! So do you have a, that review up in your channel as well, right? Yeah, that's the that's the last one I put up, uh, I believe, yesterday. Oh, that's why I didn't see it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't even logged out of YouTube yet. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm definitely going to put links to your channel and that video down below. Um, and you have a whole playlist of your uh, SNES 30 Pro testing as well, right? Yeah, I have, a, I have a Nintendo Switch playlist. I have a new games for old console playlist. And uh, I, I think I want to do a Sega playlist because, strangely enough, I find that Sega stuff is starting to get more views than Nintendo stuff, at least on my channel. I don't know if this is becoming a trend or not. It but probably goes – it's probably a wave that switches back and forth as time goes on. But, yeah, definitely stick, uh, do some more Sega stuff. Yeah, that, definitely. So I'm waiting for all these new uh, Sega accessories. So, I, you know, I, I put up the video, you know, it's 2018 is the year of Sega and literally covered, like, everything that's coming out for the, the classic Sega consoles this year. So that's definitely one that people will want to check out. I would suggest that as a good starting point if anybody's new, if anyone's new to my channel. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for jumping on and doing this. Um, I suggest everybody check out the links down below and follow you and check out your other videos. And uh, I'll definitely be keeping in touch. Hey, thanks so much for having me. And guys, I hope to see you on the channel. Say hi. I don't bite. And speaking of the SNES 30 Pro, Greg Collins actually just uploaded a design to Thingverse for a 3D printed stand for it, which I think is awesome. Uh, I think Greg's designs alone are making me want to buy a 3D printer. Uh, And he puts all of them up on Thingverse for free for anybody to use. So huge thanks to him and everything he's contributed. Uh, I want to get him on for an interview if I come back to this stuff eventually. Uh, And I really just want to talk to him about how he does these things. He's got to be a mechanical engineer. And, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. Wait a minute. Is that Neil deGrasse Tyson? Is that why you don't want to be interviewed, Greg? Are you really Neil deGrasse Tyson in disguise? There's a project on the Atari Age forum for people trying to make reproduction Atari controllers. And I feel like I've talked about this before, but when I went back to check, I couldn't find anything. So I'm really sorry if I'd forgotten to mention any of this stuff. But one of the things they were working on is a reproduction Atari Jaguar Pro controller. So I believe that's six buttons with the two shoulder buttons as well, um, which is pretty awesome. Um, I 
think the pre-orders might still be open for them. Uh, you have to order a minimum of two, and it's $60 each. So I just found a buddy to go in on me with them, and uh, I ordered one. I don't know what you would ever use a six-button Jaguar controller for. I honestly have no clue other than the fact that um, I like supporting community projects, and I've always been fascinated with the Jaguar. Uh, and that's pretty much it. So uh, if you guys are interested in this, definitely check it out. All right, so I was just talking about the Atari Jaguar Pro Controller that's coming out, and I thought, you know what? If this is the last freaking podcast, I want to get my cousin Nick on here to talk about uh, our experience with the Atari Jaguar. So uh, this is my cousin Nick, which uh, a brother would probably be a better description. We lived in the same room for years as kids grew up together. Um, And we had an experience with the Atari Jaguar. Do you remember this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we lived at your dad's house, and uh, he, he's a, a stock investor and, uh, and also a golf pro, and he invested in Atari. <laughs> and I remember being a shitty little 10-year-old arguing with your dad about whether Atari Jaguar was really 64 bits or not, because <laughs> it had two 32-bit processors. Um, and I remember, as a uh, kind of half as a joke and half for real, he got Atari Jaguar for us for Christmas. Yes, he did. Uh, so, do you remember? Do you remember the games that we got? Oh my god! So immediately when I think of Atari Jaguar, I think of the Bruce Lee <laughs> video, uh, which so badly I was I was I wanted to play that game and was thinking this game was going to be amazing. And it fell so far short of my expectations. Oh, my uh, God, yeah. Just, you know, the, the gameplay was so difficult. But it was Bruce Lee, and it was amazing at the same time. It, it still fascinates me how, as children, whenever we wanted something to be awesome, we would just try to keep the hype up and try to convince ourselves, like the Ghostbusters game for Nintendo or, or Bruce Lee for Jaguar. Um, I remember just, I think just two years ago when I was in Stanford, you came over and tried Bruce Lee for Jaguar again, what, 20 years later, 20-something years later? Uh, and it was way worse even than I remembered it now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, con- the controls were so much harder than what I even remembered. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> you know. I don't was- know as kids how we got up to, like, level four, because as an adult, I don't think I, I, I got past level one maybe just a few times, and then I gave up because it sucked too much. <laughs> yeah, I still to this day don't know if I ever quite figured out the controls. <laughs> no. um, yeah. And then, of course, we can't forget about Cybermorph, because uh, oh. it, it had the potential to be what Star Fox was times ten, and yes. holy shit, what a failure. Where did you learn to fly? Like, just... <laughs> Why do I just remember like this hidden rage from this voice that would just talk to you? Because you, you had no idea what you were doing. There was really no instructions. And yet every single time you either hit something or hit a button, there was a voice telling you that whatever you were doing, you were doing it wrong. Yep. Yep. Couldn't freaking <laughs> believe that. That cracked me up. And then uh, I don't remember. I don't remember if your uh, if your dad got this for us or if we went out and got it. But I remembered we always loved racing games and we loved Virtua Racing at that time because it was new and different and polygons and all that. And uh, so we got Checkered Flag, the racing yeah. game for it. I forget about Checkered Flag. That's got to be one of the worst racing games I've ever played in my life. That that was another game that I had really high hopes for. All these games, and I just remember playing Checkered Flag and being so disappointed that I would, 
I wanted to go back and play RC Pro-Am for Nintendo. Yes, <laughs> yes, or Virtua Racing, or of course Daytona, which we didn't have back then, but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And you know, it's funny, because somebody wrote a ROM hack for it that fixed some of the terrible controls, and I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but there is a ROM cart coming out, uh, a better ROM cart coming out for it, I think this year. So um, when that happens, we got to just like, we'll get a six-pack of good beer, I'll set everything up on the. Uh, I'll roll over the really nice RGB monitor, and we'll just strap in and give Checkered Flag one last try. So, Absolutely. actually, I think that'll be it. I think the next time we see you on camera, it'll be you and I doing a playthrough as as far as we could make it, I guess, in Checkered Flag, <laughs> the uh, the ROM hack version, to see if we could uh, even get through it this time compared to the original. So. That would be awesome. I look forward to it, and I'd imagine we're probably not going to get any farther than we ever got before, but it'll be awesome. <laughs> Whatever. Well, thanks for jumping on and doing this. I, uh, I've been finding, I've been wanting to find a way to integrate our fun, silly little Jaguar story into one of these. And uh, since it's the last podcast I'll do for a while, fuck it, I'm just going to put it in even if it's not relevant. <laughs> so, thanks again, uh, Nick. Thanks, Bob. And while we're talking about weird and obscure consoles, how about the Virtual Boy? The team on Planet Virtual Boy forums is doing an interest check to see if people are interested in hyperfighting reproductions, which is basically Street Fighter 2 for the Virtual Boy. And it's kind of an interesting situation because it was originally developed uh, just kind of as a private project, and then they released a demo, which is playable on real hardware using the Flash Boy ROM cart. But the full version of the game won't run on the Flashboy ROM cart, so it's kind of been a rare and expensive thing that you have to spend a lot of money for on eBay. And I, I got a chance to try it, and let me tell you, it's awesome. And it's not just awesome because it's like, oh, it's neat, it's, you know, Street Fighter and Virtual Boy. It feels like Capcom wrote Street Fighter for Virtual Boy. It's very a very fun experience. And um, you, it's surprising to see how cool it is, even though everything's all in different shades of red. It's just very surprising to see the 3D depth, the moves. It, it's just very cool. I, uh, I enjoyed playing it very much. Um, and while this is something that would probably run on an updated ROM cart, which I keep bugging Saint, the maker of all those other ROM carts, to make a Virtual Boy one, um, at the moment, the only way to do it is a single cart repro. So for anybody interested, maybe post there, and uh, hopefully we could find an inexpensive way to get this game out to Virtual Boy fans. Here's a fun one. Somebody's been posting pictures of their tiny CRT collection. So I guess mini CRTs were found in viewfinders and other things across the years, uh, and one person is collecting them and hooking them up to different sources. So uh, it's just a very neat little thing to see, and I just figured I would share that with people who are interested. And uh, thanks to my buddy Kirsten for passing that one along. All right, what's up, Zach? What do you hey. have? Uh, what do you have in store for us today? Hey, Bob. Well, you know it's uh, it's been busy times, and uh, I thought I'd talk a little bit about the uh, the Game Boy Advance. Um, up converter that I designed. Yeah, so you'd mentioned that on a roundtable, uh, I think two two podcasts ago, and I've been getting so many questions because people were really interested in that, and uh, you know they'd heard that you and Steve were working on it and wanted to wanted more info, I guess. So uh, spill it. Well, this this happened quite a while ago. Um, you know, Steve and I are big, huge fans of the original uh, Game Boy Advance form factor. As am I. Now, yep. I guess we kind of have larger hands, and so when we when we try to play with an SP, yeah, there you go, um, our hands get cramped, and it's just not very ergonomical. So we were really looking into, or I was really looking into, 
um, a way to drive a SP backlit screen into the original Game Boy Advance model or how to do that properly and most effectively. I saw um, a bunch of stuff on the internet uh, looking for a product, and I really didn't find anything um, that I liked that did everything that I wanted it to do. There's I, there's plenty of good stuff out there that, that looks good, but it's just I need – there's a lot of features that I want in this, right? Yeah, so there's and, there's actually a lot of stuff out there, um, and a lot of uh, – just like RGB mods, a lot of schematics on different forums that are not correct, and uh, I believe some that are or are closer to correct. And there's a lot of backlit – uh, GBAs on eBay that I've seen over the years that are garbage. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's that's why that's why I spent so much time being diligent looking for you know a good solution. I didn't want to have to design something, so I really spent a lot of time looking. And I did find one thing um, on Assembler Games um, on the Assembler Games forum, and I can't remember the, the the guy's username, but he designed a very small, maybe an inch by inch. Uh, a one square inch uh, two layer PCB um, that not only handled the uh, uh, the up the up voltage conversion, mm-hmm. uh, but it also had a um, I think it had a pick micro on there that uh, allowed you to adjust brightness. Well, I looked at that thing and and he released the Eagle files, uh, the he released the uh, the schematic file and the board file, so anybody could manipulate, edit, do whatever they wanted to do. And this has been a while ago, so you know when it was released because I have the picture up now, but uh, in, in my screen I can't really see a date or anything. I, I wanna I don't know if it was maybe 2016 or maybe early oh, okay. 2017 or something. I mean a year or two ago at the most, not too long ago. But at any rate, so it was a it was a voltage conversion uh, circuit that also uh, had brightness control. Well, I looked at that thing and I saw some of the components that were used, and yeah, I wasn't a fan. And Steve wasn't uh, Steve wasn't a fan either of HD rectal vision. Um, for one thing, you know, the Game Boy Advance driving the screen, you know, the parts that you're going to use to do that. All you have to do is look at the app notes, the application data sheet for for whatever component you're going to use for as an up converter mm-hmm. and whatever MOSFET you decide or FET you decide to use. That will tell you the board layout and, and how you should, you know, the, these are rather layout critical uh, parts. So, you know, the application sheet really tells you how to do everything. You're not designing anything. The, the real design comes in the firmware. So at any rate, I didn't like it so much. Uh, there's some voltage things that I didn't care for, so Steve and I set out to put one together um, that would handle um, that would properly drive the uh, backlit Game Boy screen uh, with uh, while pairing that with original Game Boy Advanced hardware. And it was also important for me to have uh, a um, brightness control on the screen too. And I wrote firmware in assembly language for an ATiny 13 that will allow you to select between four or five different brightness settings, uh, that which are saved even if you take the batteries out or turn the system off. That's always saved, so you so don't. So is that you know, kind of like flash memory almost, where it saves the last setting in some kind of flash RAM? Sure. So the ATiny 13, for example, has uh, so many bytes worth of EEPROM memory that's separate from ROM memory. So what ha- what, what happens is with the firmware is uh, whenever you go to change the brightness setting uh, on the microcontroller, you're actually manipulating a couple of bits in a register in the EEPROM section of the chip. And so, you know, when you make that change, it's an EEPROM, so it's stored indefinitely. All right. That's actually really cool. So, um, but, you know, that's 
kind of the little thing. And, you know, I've thought a lot about this, and I think that what I'm going to do is once I debug it a little bit and uh, Steve plays with it, and maybe you play with it, I want to give it to everybody. Anybody can build one of these. So I'll open source it. Uh, I'll open source the firmware. And uh, if you want to make a Game Boy uh, and, and you want to use and you want to use my particular thing, um, you can do it. Absolutely. That is really fucking killer because there's a lot of people out there that are making pretty good ones that uh, I'm sure could benefit from at least another person's input. And the fact that you're open sourcing it, uh, you know, is killer. And also, I do. I'm sure other people disagree with me on this, but I very much respect the fact um, of people of both sides of it. People that are just like, here's half a project. Uh, I can't finish it. It's open source. And the other side of it are people that are saying, I'll open source it as soon as it's done because I want to release it properly to the public. Right. Uh, and I like it both, but as, an, as a, a fan, as much of a nerd as I am, I am as much of a fan as well. I do love seeing open source products that are already pretty fucking complete too. You know, So that's sure. uh, commendable that you guys are making sure that you test through it. Yep. Yep. Just want to do a lot of thorough testing and, you know, and make sure everything's good. But, you know, if it's a product that I don't personally want to support or assemble or sell there, it does no good to make something to dump hours and hours and hours uh, into something and not let anyone enjoy it. I mean, you know, if I'm not going to support it, give it away, give it away. Just like the Amiga floppy, uh, floppy interface I designed. If you're not going to mess with it, give it to people. Let, Let people still enjoy it. You don't have to make a buck on it for for other people to get use out of it. Yeah, um, I'll go back to that in a second because I just wanted to double check. I knew what that was, but um, so just for for this one, it can be used with uh, any any of the backlit GBA screens, including the ones from China, right? Yes, yes. So Very- I didn't until I interviewed Ben Van. I had no idea uh, about any of that stuff. So I guess there's the brown tab and the white tab, and apparently the ones coming out of China with the white tabs are are just or the ones coming out of China are just as good as the, um, the, the actual original GBAs. So sure. all of these years when I was seeing all of these really terrible installations, it wasn't the screen that was the issue. It was the driving, uh, right. the way it was driven. So that, right. that's pretty awesome. Um, yep. And you said multiple brightness controls. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's button combination? That is going to be a button combination. That's right. Uh, more than likely, it's going to be... I haven't quite decided. I got a couple of things. Well... When you test it, maybe when Steve tests it, I can get some feedback. I, I don't want to say anything just yet, but okay, okay, but it'll be good. Well, that's absolutely killer, and this is all going to be open source, so that's mm-hmm. um, yep, that's amazing. I'll uh, hopefully I'll have time to help with some documentation for install uh, the installation procedures. Maybe make it easier on people. Be super simple. Really, so this is something like uh, your average beginner to intermediate can handle. This is a, the, the installation for uh, my particular little board uh, requires you to solder maybe three conductors. That's it. Three little wires. And they're not, you know, and super hard. To, it's not like a, a, a so easy. Even I could do it. <laughs> it's so easy. Even, even you could do it. That's awesome. right. Um, and just while I have you here, because uh, I don't want to screw this up, I apologize. I forgot to talk about your Amiga open source thing. Um, so do you want to just give a very oh. quick rundown of what that, that is? So people yeah, to know? sure. Sure. Well, you know, um, that was a long time ago. Um, I designed a little floppy interface uh, for all Amiga computers uh, that will allow you to um, interface either a real a mechanical floppy floppy disk drive or a GoTech disk drive um, to an Amiga uh, without any mess and without any fuss. So um, you can you can do a you can do a an Amiga hard disk or an Amiga floppy drive. You can do a GoTech drive, or 
if you have a PC, a three and a half inch um, high density disk drive, uh, there is a switch on the uh, on my little uh, PCB that will more than likely, not all of them, but for a, a good deal of PC drives, can work without any modification. Let me add some quick context to that. The PC floppy disk drive and the Amiga floppy disk drive are almost the same, but some signals are just switched on the pinout. Really, that's what it comes down to. So uh, there's a switch on the PCB that will... Uh, change lanes basically and and correct this on the PCB otherwise what people have to do is they'll take a PC floppy disk drive that they want to use with their Amiga they'll have to disassemble it and cut some cut some uh, um, traces and do some uh, watch work that way yeah right so hopefully this just you know takes some time out takes some headache out of of if you want to use a PC floppy disk drive uh, flip a switch you don't have maybe you won't have to do any modifications okay so I have um, I have your links to your uh, OSH Park for the uh, Amiga thing, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm assuming that uh, none of the links exist yet for the GBA because it's not uh, released to open source quite yet. Correct? Right. That's correct. I'll make sure to go back and update the description in this though when it does happen. Um, I'm assuming it's probably going to be like a month or two. Maybe a couple of weeks. I hope. Oh, right. Cool. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Uh, well, thank you very much for explaining that because I definitely would have gotten the Amiga thing wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. All no right, problem. Man. See you next time. Okay, Bob. We'll see you, buddy. Someone on the SMS forums has just posted a controller test ROM for the Master System, and it's designed specifically for people who want to test Genesis controllers on their SMS for things like the Game Gear to SMS or even some of the pause button to start button hacks. Because, obviously, when you're doing the Game Gear hacks, um, the start button is an integral part of that. And for a lot of SMS games, the pause button actually brings up a menu the way Start would. So being able to map the controller buttons and having a hacked ROM for it is a huge help. So, um, you know, big thanks to them for posting it. Uh, A lot of really great contributors on the SMS forum. So uh, I never got a chance to interview Bach or Maxim, but hopefully I can get back around to this and do it someday. But... Definitely check that out if you're interested or if you want to develop any SMS hacks. Some more Twin Galaxies drama this week. Billy Mitchell, who was at one point the best Donkey Kong arcade player in the world, was now proven that he cheated on a lot of his submissions. And it's actually, uh, you know, it all ties into to Twin Galaxies and how they accepted submissions. And sometimes you would just need somebody to vouch for you. And one of the people that vouched for one of his supposed record-breaking wins was the guy who uh, was outed last week as being a cheater. And it's uh, it's really just sad uh, and, and silly. And it just kind of... Anybody that wants to dig into the psychology behind stuff like this should go and find the Joe Rogan podcast where he interviewed Lance Armstrong. And uh, it was it was just really fascinating to hear Lance Armstrong answer questions like... Well, you you got on TV and did that Nike commercial where you were sticking it to all the people that accused you of cheating when you were cheating. How does that happen? How could you do that? How could you go home to your kids at night? And listening to Lance Armstrong talk about it didn't make it any better, but certainly shed some light on it and and how any one of us might get sucked into something like this. Um, I'd like to think that I would never. Uh, I'd like to think that I would be painfully honest, but, you know, it's... Who knows? So... Uh, all this stuff definitely kind of fascinates me. Um, I'm starting to lose more and more respect for Twin Galaxies as more of these stories come out. But it seems like they're trying to redeem themselves and prove that they're still relevant. Um, and, you know, 
there's so many different ways nowadays to prove that you're not cheating. And uh, it's actually kind of funny because Brooklyn Video Games often does a King of Fighters stream. And Jose Cruz went in there and did a very cool setup where he properly split the output of the arcade board. So he didn't just use a Y cable. He properly attenuated and split it to both sources. And then one goes to the arcade monitor and the other one goes out to an open source scan converter. um, And then out to a Datapath capture card. And then, of course, you need a faster computer and everything else. So when they're doing streams, you see the digital output of OSSC, so emulator quality. And it's funny because some of their fans have accused them of having just an emulator. Um, And then you see a camera on the players, but you could also see the screen as well. So it's kind of... it's great for a bunch of reasons, right? So people who are watching on Twitch and on Facebook get a crystal clear emulator quality picture to watch, um, which, you know, anytime something is easier on the eyes is never a bad thing. And then also, uh, you know, the players get no lag, but when you have that camera on them, it shows everything sync up. So it shows that what you're seeing on screen matches what the arcade players are seeing. And, I mean, I guess if you wanted to be really crazy about it, you could also have a a camera on the inside of your uh, uh, arcade machine showing that you're running a real board. Um, But... There's ways if you really are a gamer at the Billy Mitchell level, you know, where you're famous, um, you should go through the extra steps to prove that you're still you. And not only you shouldn't do it to to defend yourself, you should do it to be proud of it. You should be really proud of, you know, your skills. Um, you know, even if you don't have the technical skills to build that, you should be proud that you own a rig like that. This should be things that you're happy and excited to show off, not that you feel you need to prove. And he did none of that. What he was actually, uh, he was using MAME and didn't tell anybody. I, I guess they accept MAME submissions, but it has to be within a, a certain... Um, uh, category or confines, but uh, in, in my personal view, if uh, if it's a properly built MAME unit, I don't understand why there would be a difference. If anything, it might be harder if there was any possibility of lag, but um, the speculation is that he uh, used save states and stitched together uh, a couple of runs to make sure he got the perfect run to get over a million points. So, uh, liar, liar, pants on fire, total cheater. There's, you know, it's definitely been proven, and uh, it's really disheartening. I actually tweeted both him and Steve Wiebe, both the people in the documentary, uh, and of course they uh, ignored it and declined comments. No one's gonna, <laughs> no one's gonna respond to a channel with five thousand viewers when you have a, uh, you know, channel with millions of viewers bugging you. But I'm really interested to see what this idiot says about it because he seemed, and I, this is a really mean thing to say, but uh, last podcast, so fuck it, he seemed like a total spaz in that documentary. Um, they obviously presented him as the bad guy and Steve Wiebe as a good guy, but maybe it was just the way they edited the documentary, but it, he just always seemed like this hyper spaz, trying to jam his hot sauce in your face, trying to jam his Donkey Kong, and then when somebody else beat his score and he came out of nowhere and said, you know, I've been holding this tape, uh, and the Twin Galaxies guys just believed him, like, oh, that Billy Mitchell, always coming out of nowhere. As soon as that happened in the documentary, I was like, how the, uh, like, there's something fishy about this, right? Like, I, I could sort of understand somebody beating their own score and then holding the tape, like, all right, I already have the highest score, let's, it's a little bit of a dick move, but that way we'll have people shooting for here when I'm already here, and hopefully they'll land in the middle. 
you know, it's strategy. It's fine. It's kind of like playing the clock in football. It's not nice, but it's within the rules. But there's something fishy about all of that. So uh, I'm very interested to hear what Steve Wiebe has to say. Um, and I'm really interested to see if Twin Galaxies steps up their game and, and starts taking this more seriously. I mean, I just... The fact that you could cheat on this, it's just kind of mind-blowing. I mean, could you imagine if I cheated on an album? That would be like me and Renee getting together and jamming on guitar. And uh, Renee saying, yeah, Bob totally nailed that solo on the album. Uh, you, know, you can't hear it, and we, uh, we, f- we forgot to save the master, but he totally nailed that solo. You just call him the best lead guitarist now. I mean, it's bullshit. <laughs> you need real proof. And uh, So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But uh, I just I found all that fascinating. And I wished uh, Dr. Anthony Bean, I, I hope he starts a blog or something, because anytime there's something like this, I would just love to hear the psychology behind it. So uh, it was a real long rant just on Billy Mitchell, but I thought it was at least somewhat relevant. And speaking of competitive arcade gaming, I went down to Brooklyn Video Games and dragged Steve out from behind the counter to talk about his upcoming King of Fighters tournament. Ready. Hey guys, I'm with Steve from Brooklyn Video Games. What's up, man? So I wanted to come down and talk to you. You're having another King of Fighters tournament, right? Yeah. Uh, February 17th, uh, 7.30. February 17th, 7.30. So this place is fucking awesome. You have two Neo Geo machines here. Both are hooked up with the undamped adapters so that you can actually use whatever controller you want that's USB-based on it. Uh, everything's calibrated. You guys output into a stream. I think I hear people say that they uh, they don't believe that it's a real stream. They think that you're using an emulator or something. But this place is absolutely legit. So uh, anybody who wants to join, if you like King of Fighters and you're anywhere near Brooklyn, just come on down. It's a Saturday, right? So you, know, you don't have to worry about getting out of work or anything. And, um, and what time? Uh, how late do you guys usually run to? Last one I ended around twelve. All right, that's not terrible. Cool. Everybody come down in a. Because this is the last podcast for a while. I just wanted to personally thank you for all the help you gave the Thank you. Crew. One of the first times I met this dude, I was literally sitting on his floor taking apart Genesis, <laughs> trying to figure some shit out. So uh, you always understood what we were trying to do, and you've been a massive help to all of us. So thanks so much, man. Uh, thank you. All right, I'll see you guys down here that Saturday. All right. You know, going to these King of Fighters tournaments reminds me of something that's bugged me since I was a kid. And that your average fan of Neo Geo games is just a retro gamer lover. Or back in the day, it was just a gamer. <laughs> um, but there's always been a small group of people that are just raging assholes that tarnished the Neo Geo name. Uh, and they all kind of remind me of Minnie Joe Redifer from that TV show, The Mick. I'm rich. I'm smart. I look like a freaking movie star. I'm fine. Sure. I'm freaking fine. I am the man. And, you know, while that's kind of funny, it's really the way it was back then in the 90s, and now those people grew up, and that's kind of, the, they're the same person now, just older and louder. So I, uh, I, it just bothers me only because they still hang out in a place that shares the name with those games. And uh, if they were just on a website called, like, RetroTrolls.com or something, I would be loving this, because it keeps those idiots away from real people. But the fact that they have that website that shares the name drives me crazy because there's still that stigma to these days. Uh, that These days. As in, like, uh, if you take somebody that's not involved in any of the fighting scenes but was kind of a gamer in the 90s and you say Neo Geo, most of them will go, ah, because they just remember all the assholes. Even though there were way more cool people than assholes, they were just so loud. And obviously the best way to deal with people like that is to blatantly ignore them. Because if you give them 
any recognition all, at all. Even if you confront them, you end up with videos of shirtless, mentally challenged idiots tweaking their nipples. Uh, and that's just not something I want to give anybody power for. You know, they're people just looking to, to feel kings of their own castle because if they leave, you know, they'll be shunned. No one will pay attention to them. So if you can't confront them and you can't change them and you can't take that name back, the only thing I could think of to do is just everybody post one thing that they have Neo Geo related and hashtag Neo Geo. And that's it. Not, you know, not launching an assault, not like uh, starting a war, just simply posting positivity. And maybe that'll get people to, to catch on and continue to only post more positive things so that negative stigma surrounding Neo Geo might finally fade away. And heck, maybe uh, maybe those idiots will consider changing the name of their forum to uh, to Retro Trolls or something, because it would certainly be more fitting. But definitely try to spread positivity around it, because anybody that's ever been to any of those fighting tournaments, it, they're all the same in that it's just a room full of positive energy and awesomeness. It doesn't matter if it's a Neo Geo game or Street Fighter or whatever it is that you're playing. Smash Brothers, it doesn't matter. It's all the same positive vibes in there. So I, I just, it's been bugging me since I was a kid, and it still bugs me now that that small group of assholes takes away from everybody else. So just maybe post one little picture of your favorite piece of Neo Geo gear that you own. Maybe it's a digital download on the Switch. Maybe it's an ultra-rare prototype that you're the only person in the world that has. You know, there's so many awesome people in that community, and a lot of the collectors are just, you know, always sharing their information, taking pictures, and uh, really helping to archive this stuff. And it's that's another thing too. The collectors who you know keep rubbing their twenty thousand dollar copy of Neo Turf Masters in people's faces. It's like that's not who the Neo Geo collectors are either. <laughs> the good ones, the ninety nine percent, are people that just love that stuff and love being collectors. So let's just uh, you know kill them with kindness and just post our positivity. And hopefully you know a few more years will go by and uh, it won't have such a negative stigma around Neo Geo. Hey guys, I'm here with Wes from Second Opinion Games. What's up, man? Hey, uh, just wanted to say uh, thank you for all of the, the great content you've been creating. Oh, thanks so much, man. And thank you for donating such a freaking awesome Patreon giveaway. Uh, I think no whoever problem. gets this is going to really love love it. Especially, I love the fact, too, that when you just toggle the button, it goes back to being just a regular backlit Game Boy. So yeah. you could just enjoy it as a backlit Game Boy, and then it's if annoying. you want to have some fun, you press a button and screw around with it. So yeah. Uh, so just so people know, like what I did with that, I bought the parts off of a website called Handheld Legends, and it has a glass screen, <laughs> so you don't have to worry about it scratching. It's a really strong glass. It of course has a clear case. Put the nicer buttons on it. The then you have the basically like a rheostat voltage control for the CPU. Uh, I think Bob said it last week. A lot of the Nintendo games, you can really throttle it up to like 200%. Uh, but some of the third-party games, they will crash once you get to the high ones. And you can't recover them. Like, if you shut it off, you have to just turn it off and start it back up again. Uh, certain games, uh, one of my favorite games is Castlevania Adventure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the problem is this game runs so slow that I just turn it on and maybe, like, goose it up a little bit. And then it becomes fun to play. Uh, so it's yeah. it's it's a great little mod. Uh, the backlight came out really great on those. Yeah. Uh, I sent a green one to uh, Corey. So I know yeah, it might be washed out in the camera, but it looks really good. Bob, you can attest to that, right? Absolutely. You can see everything on the screen perfectly fine. Great. Yeah. Um, if you can hear this in my voice, I am very sick. I, I've, I've, 
I've come out of hiding for Bob because he's that <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I will not be doing my podcast this week. I want to say thank you for all the people that followed me on Twitter and may have like uh, started subscribing to the podcast. This is the best I've been able to talk in like four days. Oh, so geez. I can't do a three-hour-long podcast. Uh, but next week I should be recovered and able to talk like a normal human being. <laughs> well, I hope you feel better. Um, thank you again so much for donating this. And uh, for anybody that, uh, that hasn't followed you, just subscribe to Second Opinion Games. And it's available on all of the mediums. So whatever Everything phone, that does podcasts. Um, yeah, or any just, podcast. you can go to the website uh, and do, uh, do a direct stream or download as an MP3 as well, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so. Yeah, there's absolutely no way you can't get this thing. It's uh, yeah, very easy. Yeah, we're everywhere. And Google you'll be Play, back uh, next Stitcher. week. And, of course, all of your previous episodes are still there. So if anybody oh, wants yeah. to scroll through and find a topic they want to listen about, uh, listen about, listen to. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, it's still early for me. But, uh, Don't worry. All right, let's do this. Let's hit the, the spin wheel. Right. All right, so let's spin this wheel and see who wins that awesome Game Boy. Ooh. I, I hope it's a name we can pronounce. <laughs> Nathan Chowning. Awesome. Ooh. Congratulations, Nathan. Uh, I think you're really going to love this thing. I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, and thanks again to you, Wes, for donating it. Oh, no problem. I hope he enjoys it, and I'm glad it's a name I can pronounce. <laughs> so congratulations, Nathan. I also did a second interview last week with Ben Venn, the creator of a whole bunch of pretty cool Game Boy products. So uh, if you're a fan of his work or even just interested in uh, some pretty cool Game Boy knowledge, definitely check out the video. And uh, I also wanted to bring the other half of Team Rekt along. What's up, Steve? How's it going? What? What? what why are you dragging me, dragging me here? What am I doing here? Well, I uh, I figured you were an expert in this one subject, so uh, I read an article um, that was with the original developer of the game Hong Kong '97, which is a, a pretty like a, an infamous Super Nintendo game because it's pretty much the worst one ever. Uh, it was designed in like a day and a half. Um, it was only distributed on floppy drives, and it was all just because the developer thought it was shitty that Nintendo had such a big control of the market, so he just wanted to, to do something silly and fun, and he had a whole idea for a storyline, uh, and it never happened uh, because he only had the small development time to work with one guy who actually kind of knew what he was doing. Uh, and the stigma of it's just grown over the years because there were so many people that were reading into every little thing and, well, you know, what happens at the end of this level? Is that, you know, a, a meaning, a hitting meeting for, for this or that? And uh, he finally broke his silence and um, uh, and just came out and just told the truth. Like, it just was a fun little project and it was forgotten about for many years until somebody found one of the floppies. But uh, so you're, so, you're so. all storied on this history, right? Um. I, this is the first time I heard about it, but it sounds to me like it's the E.T. of SNES games, perhaps? Yes. So uh, I, I clearly just dragged Steve on because I wanted my friends on the uh, on the last podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, yeah I, I mean, it, I think it's hilarious when something is so bad that people try to find out. Uh, they think there's always something underneath, but, like the, the movie The Room, right? Yeah, it's it's it's, very, it's similar to that, I guess, uh, where they they try to look for like these little things uh, to try and make it enjoyable for them. And I mean, I guess he ruined the fun of it, saying <laughs> just coming out and saying, "Hey, uh, yeah, this is just all, eh, 
I did it because of that. No reason. No reason. Actually, I mean, this is probably the perfect time because uh, it, it had gone for years without him ever talking about it, him ever really even acknowledging it. So I think he let it build long enough, and it's kind of neat to finally hear the, the inside story. But, uh, but yeah. I guess the real reason I wanted you on is to ask, do you have a delivery date for your Dreamcast cables? Um... <sighs> Well, I mean, I tend to give pretty conservative estimates, so maybe 2059. <laughs> if we're lucky, maybe 2058. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's looking pretty good. <laughs> All right, thank you, Steve. I'll see you next time. All right. Last week was another retro roundtable live podcast. Uh, and it was an absolute blast, but about an hour and a half into it, the YouTube stream dropped out. So uh, it was a little disappointing. But we uh, we were able to save the whole thing, so anybody that wanted to go back and watch it or people who weren't able to attend live, you could just go to the link and check out the whole thing. Uh, and also, I'd really love to continue to do those. I just I don't know if I'm going to be able to get home in time, but I absolutely love doing that podcast. I love doing it live, and I love how there's always people in the chat that are kind of hanging out and talking about this stuff with us um it really does feel like i'm hanging out with uh you know a, a whole bunch of my friends and and talking about this stuff so uh, i hope to still be a part of that and of course thank you to everybody who jumps on and participates i know with time zones not everybody could do that but uh, uh if we do end up doing more of those please try to jump on and join because we have so much fun just kind of messing around and talking to everybody in the chat as well as each other so uh thanks to everybody who was a part of that Alright guys, I am here with Cousin Scott. Hello! We uh, we just came back from a kava bar where we drank dirt water that makes sure um, it enhances your calm. Yeah, and I do feel a little bit more calm, and it did taste like dirt, so I agree with you on all points in your sense. I never feel more calm, but we're at a real bar now, and, uh, and we're actually here for the old-fashioned. But uh, yeah, it's this is going to be the last weekly podcast. I wanted to just check in with Cousin Scott, because you were there before... Before we even came up with the idea of Retro RGB, before it was a website, when it was just a Google Doc. Yes, so. and I, uh, I felt privileged to have access to that uh, when it was a private object that uh, was really only available to a very few select people. And I, I think in practice, like seeing the podcast and seeing the, especially the website, like roll out and be publicly available and see how much it's meant to a lot of people um, with uh, like once it was available to everybody and like what a community has surrounded it I, uh, I it just reinforces how special it felt uh, when it was new <laughs> yeah yeah for me uh, my favorite things about it has been the same thing it's always my favorite things about life it's uh, the people you meet and the experiences you have and in this case the experiences I have is Playing Super Metroid on a 32-inch D-Series BVM, <laughs> especially with MSU audio. Yeah, it's. I never in my life thought I'd experience something like that. You played the MSU audio version. I, I haven't. I, I've, I've dabbled in it, but you know the thing about Super Metroid is you've got to spend five minutes playing like the opening section and, yeah. and watch the open the opening scroll, which was so cool the first dozen times I played it. But now I, I really want to. Find a save file to skip out all well, that I have, stuff. Well, I have one of those saved. Yeah. I'll just email it to you. It's the beauty of ROM cards. Another reason why you keep using one of those. Um, for me, the moment was the first time uh, 
you got a PVM, and we just experimented with uh, Legend of Zelda. We, was... we bought it from Phil. From Phil. That was the first time I met Phil. And uh, he, <laughs> sorry to call you out here, Phil, but he actually said, uh, we're, we're all three of us are good friends now. And he said maybe months after that, like, uh, yeah, you're like one of the few people I, uh, I kept in touch with because I've sold so many stuff to weirdos over the years. My wife didn't want anybody coming over. So I guess, I, I guess we're low end on the weirdo spectrum. So he kept talking to us. Which is good but... news, yes. <laughs> Don't want to be high on that list. Nope, but yeah, it was. Uh, uh, we kept in touch with him. He doesn't want to be on camera. I think he's camera shy and he doesn't want to admit it. But uh, you can't blame a guy for that. It's the internet. It's that's worldwide, fine. right? Yeah. I'll, I'll say about Phil that you, you bought your first PVM off of Phil, and so did I. That's right. Um, and I also bought uh, my Vectrex. Right. And it uh, it coincided with me getting like a, a fairly sizable raise and promotion at my job at the time. And uh, that was my treat to myself. That's I, I always, uh, you know, want to get something superfluous, something for myself. If I have like a life-changing moment like that, like I get a race, something like that. And um, in that particular moment, it was the PBM and the Vectrex. And uh, at that same moment, I think I also got my rum, my cart, yeah. which I still use off of you, which is. Uh, a wonderful object that fits nicely into my apartment. I can fit all my consoles on it. I still have the page up that shows all those because for people with limited space, which means, you know, everybody in New York, um, having something on a little rolling cart that you stick in the side is just perfect. Yeah, and uh, it's it's definitely held me at excellent stead um, for years. But uh, just those first experiences were uh, among my favorite moments. And then I played... Uh, not with the MSU audio, but I played the bulk of Super Metroid as well, and I played Legend of Zelda with the MSU, and those were also particularly special moments. Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, having access to the ROM cart, it kind of renewed, you know, like when I was, like, and this is dating us quite a bit, but like, we were dealing with like early generation emulators on PCs. Going back into the, the 90s, right? Like, it was probably, like, on the mid-90s when we first started experimenting. Back when emulators couldn't even emulate the rain in Zelda. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. The, yeah. I mean, the, the first emulators could handle Nintendo games fairly well. With our modern... Or, or our, our informed, uh, critical eye, I'm sure it would have been... Like very dispiriting to, to look at how we were playing but those as games. kids. It was just it was, fascinating. Yeah, it was amazing that we could yeah. just do it. We could get them all for free. And then later on, I think like around the time I graduated college, I went through a little phase where I was playing Super Nintendo a lot mm -hmm. uh, through emulation. And it really wasn't until I got the first ROM cart that I started exploring like all these great weirdo titles on uh, on the Super Nintendo that were you know they're they're one and all, like, half-masterpieces. I, I think I probably played all the best games, like, prior to that. But not all the hidden hidden gems? All those hidden gems are, have been really uh, a, a real pleasure to, to play. And it also coincided with me getting to, to watch them on these amazing monitors, where, I, where it, it feels like I'm watching an experience that was so rarefied and so unavailable to your regular person. I think it's just so cool that they almost like future-proofed their consoles yeah. to be compatible with the 
the kind of geek stuff that people are doing today. I, I think that's very cool. A good feeling. All right, well, the bar's starting to fill up, so I don't want to bother everybody else that's in here, but uh, definitely, so for me, it was uh, meeting all the people and experiencing, you know, MSU Audio RGB SNES on a 32-inch BVM. So the experience of people, you was getting all the stuff and seeing your old games in a new way, discovering new games and stuff. Um, any least favorites? Any least favorite experiences? I get a little bit more frustrated than I'm sure that the, the you have the capacity to for the when things break down and stop working the way that they're supposed to because these some of these devices are so finicky and so uh, you know sometimes you need to go through like an app to be able to load something on a ROM cart or sometimes your monitor is supposed to be showing an image and it doesn't and you're basically stuck. I, I particularly hated that when I wanted to show people how cool everything was, and I tried to hook up like an arcade machine or something like that, and then it just didn't work. And then I had to sort of stand there with my thumb up my ass and try to can, just try to stall them until I troubleshot the problem. Those are probably my least favorite experiences. But um, other than that, I mean, uh, I have one and one only. I mean, you know, nothing's ever perfect, right? You can't win them all. The, the, the least favorite experience since the stop website was launched, when we found on eBay a pallet of RGB monitors for $100 a piece that were brand new in the box, to the same 20 inches that I had, for 100 each if you bought the whole pallet, brand new. Definitely my least favorite experience. Because I said to Scott, eh, I'm sure we'll find deals like this all the time and I don't have a couple of grand to spend. The missed opportunity, right? You're, you're excellent. You know, just to say something personal about Bob, is like you are wonderful about like following that impulse and gaining that pleasure from doing something that like might seem risky or might seem uh, just sort of like it's not the right time to take on something like that. I'm way more cautious than you in that regard, and I'm sure it brought me less happiness than yeah, life but as a result. Yeah, it's also brought you a savings account. I do have that, but I uh, I feel my own sense of regret about that too. All right. Well, regardless of uh, of when and where I come back, you're stuck with him too because uh, we've been doing this through a ten, and we're not stopping anytime. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. The site might be going through whatever, but I'm hanging out with Bob, and we'll continue to do so as long as I probably live. We'll see you guys soon. Good to see you guys. All right, guys. Here he is, the ghost, Michael from Badass Consoles. Uh, and this is real. This is definitely real. Um, it is a very, very high-quality connector on the digital port, uh, and it's the same very high-quality connectors on the SNES side that you see in uh, the good-quality cables. Um, also, it's uh, it's put together in a... a it looks like a high-quality 3D print, so not like one of those uh, $1,000 machines. And uh, there is no tape or glue. Um, the HDMI port, of course, is, um, you know, it's a metal HDMI port. And then uh, it looks like a Wii's uh, analog port in order to get RGB output from that. So uh, it's real. It exists. And uh, it is coming out. Uh, and <laughs> definitely in 2018. Uh, so, yeah, that's... Um, uh, I'm very pleased to be able to to show this one off, especially if this is, ends up being my last podcast, because uh, I just I've been behind the idea for this. Uh, I stood by you 100% when you scrapped the old idea and went to this. Uh, didn't like it so much when you dropped off the face of the planet, <laughs> but uh, and I understand why there were delays, of course, because um, you know while I kind of giggled when you said a month's 
ship uh, before they would ship when I interviewed you last summer because I've done manufacturing and I know it doesn't work like that. Uh, at least we're here and we're ready to go. Almost. 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 Almost ready to go. A um, couple more changes, a couple more surprises that uh, that I've thrown in last second and uh, nothing that's going to push anything back any further than what I had planned like around March time frame. Okay. So, uh, but I'm, I'm going to be able to manage to squeeze in a couple of extra surprises. Very cool. And uh, the functionality, I'm assuming, is the same as always promised uh, and, and with the other dual solutions. So simultaneous output on both ports. Um, on the analog side, you can also have audio through the pins, obviously, because uh, this isn't just a placeholder. That's an actual port. Correct. Okay. Well, uh, anything else to add? Yeah. I just want to show you my new shirt. <laughs> I feel like somebody just, just gave me a present. <laughs> I, I thought you'd like this. <laughs> Through all the bullshit. Through, <laughs> Through all the bullshit that's gone on through all the weeks and weeks of your podcast, mm. I felt like this made the best statement that stuck with me of how you've uh, uh, reacted to certain people. And I thought I'd capture that moment in this shirt. Dude, that is the fucking funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Thank you so much. <laughs> that is great. So uh, here we are to all the naysayers, to all the doubters. Um, I guess there's only two things left to say. First of all, this is real. It's here and it's as good as promised. And second of all, <laughs> okay for the very last thing on the list is something i'm incredibly proud of and grateful to be a part of an interview with kevin horton aka kevtris uh kevin was my very first interview ever uh, i just emailed him out of the blue and said hey you know do you think you would want to talk about this stuff with me and he completely jumped right on and was awesome uh, he had every right to be like, no, dude, you have no followers, you're just starting out. And he didn't. He was so cool and so nice to me. Uh, he was fun again when I interviewed him for the Analog NT Mini, and I had equally as much fun uh, interviewing him this time and talking about the Super NT. So I'm very proud that my first and possibly last interview is also Kevtris, somebody who's made such an amazing difference in the retro gaming world, uh, and I think his FPGA cores are really going to be a big part of what makes these consoles live on forever. So massive thank you to Kevtris for doing this again. I'm very proud to be the first person to launch the, the interview with him after the Super NT comes out. And, um, you know, just a big thank you to, to everybody involved in this whole podcast. Uh, you know, once again, 92 weeks in a row of nonstop, uh, and I just had so much fun doing all of it. And uh, I really wish it was something I could continue doing, but, you know, uh, not much else you could do about it. So uh, thank you so much to everybody that supported me, for everybody that came on and inter uh, was interviewed and was a part of it, and for everybody that just gave me a chance when, uh, when a lot of other people wouldn't. So thank you guys so much, and uh, I will be back in some way, at somehow, at some time. I just don't know where. So uh, I will see you guys next time.